Hello and welcome back to the Time to Change podcast. I'm Aaron Tracy. I'm Carl Rainey. And today we have a really interesting topic for you. Today we're talking about mindset, something I'm really, really passionate about, something that has helped me a lot within the last year of personal development and growth. We also have a really interesting interview with Phil Nilsson, an ex-professional rugby player of 15 years. He discusses his career in detail and also talks about the mental health effects of professional sports. It's a fantastic interview and it's towards the end of the podcast. Yeah, it was actually it was a really good interview with Phil. So Aaron, today we're talking about mindset. I know you personally are very passionate about mindset. So why do you think it's important to have a good mindset and a good outlook on life? I was lucky. I was always raised with my dad, who was a very positive person, a very positive kind of inspiration uh, on my life. But something I've kind of noticed within the last year, having changed my mindset and something we're going to discuss about is how to change your mindset. It has so many greater effects than what you think it could. So just just kind of some facts about mindset and about kind of positive and negative energy. So a 2014 study published in a, a scientific journal, Neurology, linked high levels of cynicism later in life with a greater risk of dementia, which is pretty incredible. So if you're more negative, you know, in your early life, if you have a if you're always downtrodden, have a bad mindset, always a bit cynical, then you're actually more likely to have dementia later in life. We also saw in a 2009 study from uh, the journal Circulation from nearly 100,000 women that the most cynical participants were more likely to have heart disease. The more pessimistic women also had a higher chance of dying over the study period versus those who were more optimistic about humanity. So when I'm very passionate about mindset and getting your mindset right, it goes so much further than just being a happy person. It actually leads to greater health benefits later in life. Having a good mindset every day when you wake up makes waking up easier. It means when you go to see your friends, you're in a better attitude. You're probably going to make more jokes. You're going to laugh more. And everything runs smoother from work to study to whether you're in school, whatever you do, sports, Anytime um, you know you are happy and in a good mindset, you know everything seems to go right for you. Um, something I noticed was that if you have these kind of positive feelings the whole time, over time you develop into a more positive person. Nobody wants to be negative, and obviously there's so much pressure, especially on our young society today, um, with all sorts of things from social media um, from, you know, Instagram, people saying you need to look like this, you need to be this, you need to be earning this amount. However, I think what we need to do as a generation is step back and just start relinking our body and our mind and having that positive mindset. Yeah, I think it's quite easy to like compare yourself to other people, especially online with like social media and like get downtrodden about yourself like because you can always compare yourself to other people and obviously everyone puts out the best version of themselves online and if you're thinking that's their actual life and you can actually get really downtrodden about that so yeah it's definitely important to take that with a grain of salt or whatever you see online and not directly compare yourself to to other people so you know that's it they're actually two really cool studies so yeah another thing Aaron is you you always got you always talk about the law of attraction and like I actually have no idea what the law of attraction is about but would you be able to tell tell me and the listeners about it 
Yeah, so the law of attraction is something I kind of preach on a daily basis. It's basically where when you think of something so much and you start to believe it, it will happen, okay? So there's countless examples of this in real life with, you know, kind of entrepreneurs and everyone like that, even sports people who visualize stuff, they start to believe it and then it actually happens. So the law of attraction is saying if you tell yourself something so many times that you believe it, it will happen. Now, this has actually been proved. um, The power of positive thinking has been supported in various medical journals. Neurologists know that visualization 100% creates a better future. And scientists working in Wellcome Trust Center for Neuroimaging at the Institute of Neurology have discovered that people who visualize a better future are more likely to be able to bring that future into existence, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. You think this is just something that people tell you, you know, to help with your mindset, but this is actually scientific. I want to kind of describe it like this. So in your brain, you have two parts. You have the conscious mind and you have the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind is basically what dictates everything. It's what, uh, the conscious mind is where we are thinking, but the subconscious mind kind of filters what we're thinking and adjusts it. So basically from ages one to five, your subconscious brain is being programmed. Like anyone with computer programming, everything you hear, see, that's all going into the subconscious mind. And that's kind of there for life, or, or so you think, that your subconscious mind. That's why you have people you know, at the age of five who can speak two languages. They just absorb it all and it's now subconscious in their mind. Hence why statistically, if you have a good upbringing, you're more likely to do better in life. So you have this subconscious brain that's kind of filtering everything you think. And then you have the conscious brain, which is everything you think. And they're all linked with the body and health. So my thing is with the law of attraction, It's really, really important if you have a bad mindset to retrain the brain, to retrain your mind, to reprogram that subconscious part of your mind. So there's various methods you can do to help this. Uh, Obviously, visualization is a huge one. You often hear of, you know, many sports stars talking about visualization. They will literally sit, meditate, visualize what's going to happen before it happens. In that way, your brain is constantly thinking about that exact moment happening so that you can act on it as soon as it gets there. If you have precision affirmations, if you keep telling yourself the same things, it will happen because your brain is then looking out for it. And over time, it won't be after the first day, it won't be after the first month. But if you continue to give yourself positive affirmations, and you continue to visualize, you've started to retrain your brain. Meditation is also huge for retraining your brain. So meditation, as a lot of you think, is like monks up in the hills of China, you know, with their legs crossed, humming. But it's not that, and it's used in everyday life. What meditation is used for is to take yourself away from what's going on now and be able to take your thoughts off everything. It's retraining the mind to completely go blank. And they actually found in an experiment in Washington DC with 4,000 participants in 1993 that they got them all to meditate um, on love and peace over six weeks. And the study, based on statistical analysis, 
The study predicted that if 4,000 participants meditated permanently in Washington, D.C., crime rate would drop by 43%, which is pretty insane. Yeah, that is actually crazy. 43% drop in crime rate. People are meditating. Like, yeah, people always going on a bit like meditation and stuff, how good it was for you. Like, I never obviously have, but no, I wouldn't have thought it'd actually have an empirical effect. Like, but even if you're not like up for meditating, the main thing you can do is constantly visualize your goals. Have your goals, write them down, say them to yourself. Like a lot of the lads I know and a lot of my best friends know I have certain goals in life because I've talked about them so much. But every single morning when I wake up, I visualize those goals. And now it's not a case of, oh, if I get to that stage, it's when I get to that stage. I've gone from a case where I thought I might get to that stage to I believe I'm going to get to that stage to now presently I know I'm going to get to that stage and I know I'm going to get to that stage of my goal and that isn't trying to say like oh I'm great I'm amazing whatever I've gotten to this that stage I'm just trying to demonstrate what effect it can have on you as a person if you constantly believe something and are constantly told it and this is why this is another huge point as well this is why it's so important to surround yourself with good people. Because when you surround yourself with good people, you're constantly being fed good, positive information. They're constantly telling you, oh yeah, you're gonna get there. You're gonna complete this. You're gonna complete your dreams. And that's again, like a positive affirmation in your head. So that when they say you're an average of the five people around you, that's basically what's happening. You're retraining your subconscious mind. And I just think that's pretty incredible, the fact that you can retrain your mind. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah, when people say, if you want me to tell you who you are, tell me who your three closest friends are, people do have an impression. And as well, actually, on what you were saying was how impressionable, just like, like kids are when they're younger, to like learning new things. Like That's why, obviously, John, with COVID, they're trying to get the schools back because if children miss out on education, it can have long-lasting effects on on kids and it's not just something that is short term like it's something that lasts long term so no yeah it was actually really interesting what you're talking about there yeah i just for me personally i think having a good mindset and having this positive outlook on life and being able to visualize it like with my goals i have not yet completed it but the fact that i know i'm going to get there one day means that every morning when i wake up i have a purpose and that purpose is going to drive me every day and it's going to give me that drive. So when people say they're unmotivated, what you need to do is start visualizing your goals. And in that way, you're going to have a drive every morning to become motivated. So I was actually wondering, I know, Cahill, you were telling me something about a scarcity mindset. I was wondering if you could kind of explain more about that. So I was listening to a podcast on NPR and it was discussing scarcity mindset and they compared the scarcity mindset of not having economic substance so being poor they compared it to having a similar effect on IQ on your score and IQ test as pulling an all-nighter so they compared being poor had a similar effect to pulling to having no sleep the night before doing an IQ test so it had a negative effect on IQ test which was really interesting to think that being poor can have an effect on on how you score and some intelligence tests similar to not sleeping which is kind of linked to what you were saying Aaron if you're brought up rich you're more likely to be rich like the rich rich stay rich and poor stay poor 
it definitely links with the whole thing about you know being brought up right but this is this is the thing what i find really interesting those who do well that come from you know poor backgrounds or those who you know come from a troubled past the fact that they're able to get over that shows that they have the ability to retrain the subconscious brain and i just find that fascinating and this is why people looking for stuff in the short run like if they're hungry or if they're poor they're just looking for you know short economic gains this is why it's so important to have both uh, short run goals and long run goals goals for the future as well because that keeps you on your toes and it means you don't fall into that trap of constantly looking for instant gratification for the next part of the podcast we interviewed Phil Nilsson, an ex-professional rugby player who played for Coventry and Leeds over a 15-year career. He has worked with some of the best players and coaches in the world. We asked Phil to give a quick background on himself and his career. So, uh, my name is Phil Nilsson. Uh, I'm now 35. Uh, I retired from playing uh, professional rugby uh, last uh, last year, so just over a year ago, retired. And I think end of April last year, I played my last game, last competitive game um, in the professional circuit. So, yeah, I played. Um, I was sort of in a professional setup from the age of 16. I pretty much started like every every guy does, every sort of kid does, just local grassroots rugby. And playing professionally just sort of happened by chance, really. It wasn't sort of something I was looking for or something I was, I was dreaming of because it wasn't really about back then. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, they went professional in what, 97. So, you know, you're talking early 2000s. I was, it wasn't really a big professional game then. Um, and I got an opportunity to go to um, a private school, rugby scholarship. Um, and that put me in touch with uh, then the Leeds Tykes, Stuart Lancaster, who's now at Leinster. So, yeah, mate, they picked me up and, and they set me on my pathway, really. Got me into university, graduated from uni, um, with a degree in sports science, and then pretty much carried on professional career from then, did 15 years at Leeds, did, uh, left there after my testimonial year, um, got an opportunity to go to Coventry, who were aspiring to move up, and you know they, they'd been struggling with the professional area, they got stuck with a little bit of financial terms, and they got a new director, Ruby and Rowan Winter, and a new, a new owner, um, John Sharp, who, who were completely invested in the club, so they had a really good vision, and me and a few other boys, Sammy Tuitupo, and that went over, and uh, we got promoted back into the championship. That's probably one of the highlights of my career, to be fair. Um, just the whole environment itself, the set up the lads. Um, it was it was a good atmosphere. And yeah, so finished off there, really. Um, retired. My wife's a doctor. She got an opportunity to come to work in Gibraltar. Um, so we decided to coincide in retirement because we've been fixed base for so long with uh, with that. We we up sticks to the family and me, the wife and the three boys come over here and we've been here since now, so I've been here just over a year. Phil spoke about what motivated him to become a professional rugby player. Yeah, so basically when when I was sort of coming to end of education, school, uni, I was going to join the army. I wanted to go into Marines and go sort of, I always enjoyed sport. I knew you could play sport in a, in a, in a sort of competitive environment in the army, travel, see the world. But I wanted to do, I wanted to try and um, do the special forces. I've always, had a, like, I've always wanted to be the best at whatever I did, if you know what I mean. Um, and also, I got the opportunity to play rugby, so I thought, well, the mindset was really just sort of 
be the best I can be at it. If I don't have a go at it and I don't succeed, it's fine. But as long as I give it my full effort and the full whack, then you know I can always look back and say, I did my best, I can't do any more. Uh, I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. Um, so my mindset was really just going into it was give it a crack, give it the full effort. And if I get there, absolutely fantastic. If I don't, just sort of, it's okay. Well, it wasn't meant to happen and, and find a reason for it and then move forward in the next sort of walk of life. Um, that's, that was, I've always aspired to be the best I can be at everything I do. Um, I'm massively competitive. I've got three young boys and I'm massively competitive. Even with them, I don't let them win their snakes and ladders or all sorts. My wife tells me off for it. So I think competition is a really good driver. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit difficult in this day and age, but I think competition is a massive, is a massive driver for sort of um, everyone now in, in, in normal life and, and going forward. Because if you're not competitive, you don't want to be the best and you're just setting up for second best all the time and no one's ever going to be... For me, I don't think anyone can ever really be happy with second best. Um, but I've learned to be able to sort of have the mindset of, you know what, if you weren't good enough, you weren't good enough as long as you give your full effort. And it's all about being able for me to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I give it my effort. I, I tried my hardest. wasn't meant to be. Let's move on. Um, which isn't easy to do sometimes, but um, if you dwell over it too much, it can drive you insane. We asked Phil, was there a single event or experience that triggered him to play professionally? No, well, basically... Um, before, but if it, so I went into university. So my first path was from, from, the, the, from school to university. And I sat down with Lanny at the time and, and sat down with my parents and him. And he said, listen, if you come to Leeds and you go to university, you've got three years to give it a crack. At the time, the RFU Academy was full, so they had no spaces in there. He said, we want you to come and train. We see something in you. You can spend the year with us and see how it goes. Uh, you're playing under 19 side, it was then. Um, and we just developed from there and see how it goes. And then... My fallback always was, if I don't achieve that in rugby, I can leave university and still go into Marines, possibly reach officer status, and I've got, I've got something else behind me. So I, I've been, straight away from a young age, I kind of come up with, you know, you've got to have plan A, plan B, plan something you, to, to do that. And then I remember, I remember going to watch, um, you know, one of my first games at the time, because when I first signed at Leeds, they were, they were a Heineken Cup side. Um, and I remember being stood in the, in the old South Stand watching the boys and, you know, you've got, you go down the training ground, you've got full internationals there, guys that, you, you, you know, you're aspiring to on TV, like Mark Regan, Tom Palmer, people like Stuart Hooper at the time, and, you know, there was South African internationals, Andre Stame, and people, just real big names, you know what I mean? And you're around them daily, um, and to be around them in the chain rooms and watch them play in that sort of atmosphere, I mean, back then, Heading was a good atmosphere in the, you know, Heineken Cup side, in the Premiership, doing well, the top five, top four, the atmosphere was unreal. I was like, I wouldn't mind a bit of this. Um, so it was kind of that, really. That was, I, remember, I still remember the day when I was sat in the, in the South Stand watching them play. Um, and then it's kind of, you, you get surrounded, surrounded by getting that environment. I was lucky at the academy I was in. We had people like Danny Kerr, Rob Webber, Jordan Cray, Kane and Mike, all guys who have played, you know, top-level rugby and international rugby. And um, you surround yourself with those guys in that environment. And... Not that you're only a product of the environment, the environment helps because I think you need a combination of the personality and the mindset with the environment. But when you're around guys like that, you, you want to be the best. It all becomes competitive. Like, like you say, like, I, can, I can lift more than you, I can run faster than you, I'm fitter than you, I'm, I can pass better than you, I can do this better than you. It all becomes really, really competitive. And you, 
in that environment as well, there's no hiding from it. The detail that goes into it and the stats that come out of it, there's no hiding from it. So, yeah, man, I'm a, as I said, I was a really competitive person. And just seeing the guys in the field and playing and being around it and seeing the enjoyment and sort of, it's just like being at school, but as a grown-up, really. So, yeah, I really, really, really wanted to get involved in it. We asked Phil, did changing his position mid-career affect his mindset? Yeah, 100%. So it was landing and move positions for me. It basically sat down when I was, um, I, I had a few doubles at sort of England 19s with the back row. Um, but you got guys like, was, guys like James Haskell and, and people like that in the way. So, you know, you weren't really, I was never going to be physically as big as and strong as them. Um, when I was younger, I was pretty much the same size as I am now. So we soon realised that I wasn't going to have that sort of physical size. So, but, they enjoyed my mentality, the way I was, um, the way I played the game, and that was good. They wanted to give it a shot, and they said, the only way you're going to play Premiership is by giving it a shot of hooker. So it was like, it wasn't like a do or all or nothing, but it was pretty good advice, um, and I really wanted to do it. So I made a decision to move when I was 19 um, to play at hooker, and it was, mate, it was completely different because I've seen you've got a whole new technical aspect of actually throwing into the line out and learning to scrum. So it wasn't really, I spent a lot of years not really learning how to play rugby because I was, I was good at doing that. It was just more the technical stuff because it's solely focused on that. So to, that changed my mindset about a lot of things, like a lot of things, um, learning a new skill and implementing it under pressure, a close skill as well, because although it's outcome orientated in terms of the result, especially running to the line out in terms of the result of the line out, the ball being run and delivered, you're only one link in a massive chain. So being able to actually break down your element and focus on that solely is a massive challenge and it's, it's what I've seen a lot of people struggle with. Like I've either moved positions like me or, or actually play hooker even in professional environment. The mentality to do it, to, you know, you, you can miss two or three in the bounce and then you still got to go back and hit the next one. So to be able to throw them, throw them sort of, them bad ones away and forget about them and move on to the next one is, is a real tough mentality. Um, I was lucky enough to sort of play with um, a lot of international guys in my position. Steve Thompson, Mark Regan, uh, Billy Massey was a Tongan boy. A bit of time there. Um, some experienced guys and I learned a lot from them about you know, technical stuff and mentality stuff. Andy Titch was well. Titch was probably one of the best guys for it. He was really good. Because uh, he, he had a keen eye in coaching as well. So to actually help teach you and to learn off, it was, you know, it was... I was lucky in a way. Um, but... I've tried to, that, that skill, I've tried to move to sort of the training stuff I've been doing. Um, and I think I've tried to apply it to a lot of, a lot of walks in life. Um, I always found playing golf helps, help me throw in. <laughs> Same mentality. When I stick one in the next field, I've got to go back and hit another one. So, um, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it was tough, but it was something that I had to do for myself. I think if I, if I didn't move positions, I wouldn't have played in the Premiership. I wouldn't have played European Cup. So I'm glad I did it. Um, it was hard work. But yeah. Phil gave us an insight into the effects of the ups and downs of professional sports on players' mental health. So I was sort of, when my first step into the senior side was sort of after the first year of relegation. Um, and it was mate. It was just, that was sort of my first year, really, in a, in a, in a first team setup, in a senior setup. And strange, man, because we were we had we were full of internationals there. We had you know guys like Ian Mar uh, Justin Marshall, Ian Bolshaw, uh, household names, uh, Phil Christophers, 
uh, Diego Albanese. We were full of complete and internationals, you know what I mean, from Wales, um, South Africa, Argentina, England. And to see a squad capitulate, not capitulate, but the, the dynamics of different personalities affects the team's performance on the pitch was, was crazy, met at such a young age. And then you sort of realise, um, and then Lanny took over the senior team and you sort of realise everything we built there with the guys that he brought in. We were a championship side and we got promoted straight away. And there was nothing special about the group that played that we had then, apart from we had an attitude to, we were a group of players who wanted to win. Um, and, you know, the, the up and down was really difficult. You start to sort of, for me personally, to get through it and to keep a level head, because we used to talk about your, your emotional state. So if you have an unbelievable high, it's like when you see a team, they win, they win a competition one week. The next week, you know, they've got to control that emotion because emotion absolutely drains your, your energy and your mental energy. So you've got to try and control that because the next week you might have another important game that you've got to win. And it's about consistency. So we used to try and say, you know, enjoy the wins, but don't go mental on them. But on the losses, don't also go, you know, like you want to go and jump off a balcony from them because you've got to keep, you've got to keep everything balanced and that'll keep your emotion, energy, um, your mentality. It'll help throughout the whole season because it's a long season. You're playing 35 games a year. Um, and that's kind of what I did on like a bigger spectrum. So I was concentrating on my... I started to concentrate on my development. I think the, the change of position helps as well because it was coincided at the same time. I was like, well, I can't, you know, I've just moved position. I'm not at the peak of my game yet because I'm learning a whole new skill. I've got to focus on me and get my stuff right and then start focusing on the team, which I started to do later on in my career. Once you can become competent at your stuff, you can then focus on that. Um, and I took, you know, I, I broke down, I created goals for myself, I created targets, um, whether it was short-term, long-term, you know, sort of monthly, weekly, annually, daily, I had my routines, um, I had it all. Um, you know, I achieved some of them goals and it achieved some of them goals, but um, I'm happy where I left it. Um, but the, it was a challenge, the, the, the up and down stuff. I mean, it did affect me. Did it affect me at the time? Yes. Did I realise it? No. Did, it, did I realise it once I left the environment? 100%. You know, uh, I've suffered with, like, probably most sportsmen, you see they suffer with spouts of depression, uh, and things like that because they find it hard I think a lot of people go through it um, you know no, to be fair it's the first time I've ever talked about it so I had, when, I fin when I left Leeds uh, after I left there I had to go and see a council for a period because I just I, I was just in a hole um, struggling at home um, my wife obviously she's a doctor she, encouraged, she identified it straight away she's, she's got a really good interest in mental health she identified it straight away and I struggled with it I did struggle with it went to see a counsellor that helps um, and then obviously leaving leaders went into a change of environment that started to help. And to be honest with you, it's, it's still now it affects me, but it's only really since retiring that I've actually started to look back and see a lot of the positives. Because when I was in it, it was all, I couldn't see anything but negatives. Um, and it was real difficult. But, you know, you've you got to come up with your coping mechanisms. And most people wouldn't have known that. All the lads I played with wouldn't have known I was struggling with that when I was playing. None of the fans, no one really apart from my wife, uh, maybe my parents. But... You, you find your ways of, of coping with it. My wife used to joke, oh, not joke, but I had sort of like home Phil, who wasn't very happy, and then I had rugby Phil, who was happy, ecstatic. All right, mate, how are you doing? Top of the world. Like, no one knew. It was like a falsified sort of false front. Um, and whether that was my coping mechanism to sort of deal with the times we were going through, because being at Leeds at the time, it was a roller coaster. Um, 
You know, you've got new owners coming in, name changes, aspirations to get back to the Premiership, you get back in the Premiership. You know, things behind the scene and the business don't go very well. It affects you on the pitch. Goes down, you know, loads of players leave. You've got budget cuts. You know, you're trying to provide for your family. So you're trying to renegotiate contracts and you're, the club is, you know, taking a, a £2 million budget cut hit and you're kind of like, well, how's this affecting me? Um, so it is, diff- it is difficult. It was, it, for me, as much as I loved it, um, there was obviously big parts that were difficult. And it's only now, as I say, that I've retired, I can look back on it. I can actually talk about it confidently and finally you know, and quite openly about it because if you spoke to me now two years ago about it I'd never have talked about it at all. We asked Phil to discuss what sets apart a professional player from an average player. So it's the mentality 100% because the physical you'll see players with unbelievable skill you see players with uh, great physical aspects you know the strong the physical the fit but the guys who have the mentality to do the best and want to be the best they're the guys who succeed and they're the guys who are who are unbelievable um they're the guys who perform consistently at the highest level. And they're the guys who will always be able to better themselves because even if they're weak in one area, they'll be able to identify it. They'll, be able, they'll have the mentality to make that better and it'll turn it into a strength. Um, and it's something that I've seen with the academy players. Uh, I've been involved around sort of Leeds was a really good um, sort, of, sort of young academy players for years. Um, and you see a lot of players there, they come in when they're younger and they've got great skill and they just they fall away they don't achieve what they should achieve you know they're England 18 schoolboy England England 20 sometimes but they can't make that next step um, and you get some guys who don't reach that sort of that pinnacle in the career so early on because of whether it's a physical you know they're missing something physically or, or skill wise but they have the mentality and determination to just to keep going and to win and the, the you know you, you call it mentally tough um, they'll never let anything beat them um, and they're the players who can identify the weaknesses they can work on them and turn them into strengths um, and as I was saying before that's a massive for me it's a massive strength you've got to be able to identify if you want to succeed and be the best you can be at anything you need to know what your weaknesses are because they will hit, they will hold you back if you know what your weaknesses are you can work on them you can make them better you can improve them and eventually turn them into a strength um, and it's that you'll see any 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 top competitor will have that mentality so they don't crack under pressure like Dan Carter Goal kicking, for example. Do you know what I mean? Johnny Johnny Wilkerson was sort of the first guy of the year and sort of like the mentality just to keep going and the belief in the fact that he can actually do it. We asked Phil, does he believe that success is down to hard work or talent? I think if anyone works hard enough, they can achieve, personally. If you... It depends what you want. For me, it all depends on what you want. I was having a chat with a friend by, um, on the weekend and he's a businessman. Um, he's a very successful businessman. He's come from having nothing to literally, you know, him and his family, he used to sleep in the kitchen with his family and stuff and he's, a, he's evolved from there to being, you know, an internationally renowned businessman, completely successful. And he, he says, we compare sort of, not notes, but we compare sort of things in terms of the mentality. He completely believes it in the fact that, and I do, it doesn't matter what you want to do. If you, you choose what you want to do, and if you want to be the best at it, you will be the best. If you don't want to do that, then you will never succeed. It's sort of like, if you accept, you, you're always going to find a problem. You're always going to find a hurdle. You're always going to find some, an issue because nothing runs completely smoothly. Nothing. 
So there's always going to be something you've got to overcome. If you haven't got the drive to overcome that, you'll never get to the next hurdle or the next step that you've got to overcome. And that's the difference between successful people and, and not like, yes, there's different things that you have to have that sometimes some people might not ever get. But if you've got the mentality to be successful, you will find the area that you can be successful in. And I think that's a, an important thing because like you said before, I'm your parents and we, me and the wife said it to our kids, we want them to be educated, we want them to go to university. But if for whatever reason they don't achieve that, we want them to be the best they can be, whatever they choose to be. You know, if they want to be a hairdresser, fine, be a hairdresser, but aspire to own your own salon or your own hairdressing, whatever it is, do you know what I mean? Or a mechanic, own your own garage, aspire to always try and be the best. And some people might say it's wrong. I, you know, there's some people which will say I'm completely wrong in doing that or suggesting that, but I just want my, I, just, well, I believe that I want my kids to be the best that they can be. I want them to be successful. Um, and I believe that if completely, 100%, if you want to do something, you'll do it. If you don't want to do it, you won't do it. It's just the way it is. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>